If I were to ask you the question, what do you need now more than ever? Do you need God's power or do you need God's mercy? How would you respond? We may think we need God's power in some incredible way, and we do, but when we think we need God's power, we tend to define what that looks like. We, we say something like, um, oh, it's going to take the power of God to get this thing done that I need done. We may see ourselves as in need of God's mercy when we have a really bad day or we've been sheltered in place, maybe for weeks. <laughs> the fact is, the whole world stands in need of God's mercy. The whole world stands in need of God's power, even though they see it on display every single day in the beauty of creation and in the people made in the very image of Almighty God. The world needs to see Jesus. They need to see God's power and mercy together in Christ. And he came to this earth as the spotless Lamb of God, the Word robed in flesh, deity incarnate, truly God and truly man, the second Adam who would come to set aright what the first Adam had made wrong. But how will they see Jesus? Well, they see him through us and through our faith on display. So today I want to talk to you about faith that glimpses the power and the mercy of God. I want to have that kind of faith. If you've got your Bibles there, you're probably already at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to dive right into the text. We'll start with verse 29. Let me give you the first point, though. I'll put the first point up on the screen for you. Faith in God that surprises with deliverance. When we have this kind of obedient, um, true faith in God, we will see the delivering hand of God. Faith in God that surprises with deliverance, surprises with His power, if you will. Let's look at the text. Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse 29. The Bible says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the people of God crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, we come to verse 29 of our text this morning with an incredible reality check. Verse 29 comes after verse 28. So this incredible rescue that we see immediately follows the first Passover in Exodus 12 and 13. We see the final plague that forced Egypt's Pharaoh to release his Hebrew slaves, but immediately he regretted that decision. In Exodus 14, the Bible records that he sent forces to recapture the Israelites who had reached the Red Sea and were trapped between impassable waters and implacable foes. We see God's power here in one of God's most extraordinary and miraculous demonstrations, the parting of the Red Sea. As one modern gospel writer put it, they had water all around them and Pharaoh on their tracks, but from out of nowhere, God stepped in and made a highway just like that. He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. The preacher of Hebrews here brings to light what's implicit in the text in Exodus, it took faith in the trustworthiness of God to walk across the seafloor as one would walk on dry land. Here's a question. What held the water back? Their faith 
or God? Well, God did. God held the water back in his providence, in his keeping his covenant with Israel. That's why when the Egyptian army tried to cross, the water released and they were drowned. They had no covenant with God, no faith in this God that moves in power. The people of God see the power of God work in their favor when they exercise true faith in God. Let me say that again. The power of God works in favor of the people of God who exercise true faith in Him. You can see the difference here. Israel and Egypt. You see the difference here between faith and presumption. Faith goes through the Red Sea. Presumption is drowned in the sea. In Exodus 14.31, even though it was short-lived, the Bible records that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Think about it. Are you tempted in this age to let your faith rest in the wisdom of men? Now, we're wise to seek counsel. We're wise to listen to instruction. We're wise to process it accordingly. But may I remind you that where scientism and philosophy fall woefully short, we need a demonstration of the spirit and of power as we live out the gospel. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When you are faced with impossible obstacles and implacable foes, will you trust the Lord? Point two, faith in the God that surprises with victory. So he surprises us with his power and deliverance, and he surprises us with victory. Take time for just a moment. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. You got your Bibles there? Let's read the text together. Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. We transition from Moses to Joshua here, from the quest to the conquest. We move from the Exodus to the battle of Jericho in Joshua 6. Joshua does not record anything about the people's faith, but our preacher writer here in Hebrews does. He records that they obeyed the Lord's battle plan in faith. Can I give you a side note for just a moment? You may not always see all of the angles of everything in the heat of the battle. In fact, I can almost guarantee you won't see all the angles of everything when you're in the heat of the battle. But God is working, and God is taking note of genuine faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.10, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. The sudden fall of Jericho's walls reminds us that the faith that pleases God responds to God's Word with action. It takes action. Even when visible circumstances make His commands seem foolish, and his promises impossible, we still act in faith. The Lord directed Israel's priests, you may remember, to sound trumpets and bearing the Ark of the Covenant. He directed the armed forces to march around Jericho once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day, and then they would shout again and blast the trumpets. You find that in Joshua 6. Such absurdity. 
Jericho was such a formidable fortress, securely sealed against siege. Spurgeon would write, You could not see faith at work on these solid walls. Those huge ramparts and battlements seemed to stand fast and firm, yet they fell down after they had been marched around seven days. No battering rams played upon them, but faith can do better work than battering rams or dynamite. Joshua's faith, his obedient, trusting, active faith inspired the nation to act. No matter where we are planted, whether it's behind a machine or a desk or in a house, if we live a life of genuine faith regarding God's word, we will elevate and energize others to live as they ought. Your faith, your faith can raise the level of the whole church's faith. The evidence that Israel believed God's word was that they obeyed God's word. The application here is pretty simple. It's that a life of faith is evidenced by obedience, even when it seems absurd. Remember, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 10, we walk in the flesh, but we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are the Jerichos that we may face? What are the Jerichos in our lives that might require an act of faith-fueled obedience, even when it appears to be folly to human logic? Ken Hughes recorded a couple that I think are helpful. Imagine with me, a man is filling out his income tax form and realizes that if he lists his extra hidden income, it will put him in a higher tax bracket and he will not have money to pay his taxes. He's up against a wall. He has a choice to make. Do what's logical, just like everybody else, or be absurdly truthful and trust that God will take care of him. Another scenario, a student doing poorly in class. He needs a B to get into grad school, and as he works on his final exam, he realizes it's not going to happen. But he, noticed that his he notices that his neighboring student, an A student, by the way, is working in such a way that he can read all of the answers without being seen. What to do? Rationalize it and say, look, God has provided a ram in my thicket. <laughs> or fix his eyes on his own miserable paper and trust God to work things out as he sees fit. Third scenario, you've been wronged by an enemy. Now you have the chance to do him ill and he'll never know you did it. Everybody will applaud you if they knew you did it and you know that you can get away with it, but you remember the words of Jesus who said, you've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5. You join the fool's parade and actually pray for blessing on the one who has wronged you. Disobedience reveals our unbelief. Obedience evidences our genuine faith. Can I say that again? And try not to stumble this time. Disobedience reveals our unbelief. Obedience evidences our genuine faith. Be encouraged. Following Jesus always leads the right way. The Bible says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him 
everywhere. Obedience sets us up for victory. Faith that sees the God of power, faith that sees the God of victory, and faith that sees the God of mercy. Look with me at Hebrews eleven thirty one, our final verse this morning. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, the prostitute. It seems like a dramatic shift in the focus, right? Up until now, we could categorize the previous examples of faith as the usual suspects, but Rahab, a prostitute? That's not one typically described as faithful to God. How did she trust God? And why is her faith commendable despite her occupation? Well, many of you know the story, but in Joshua 2, we discover how Rahab hid Israel's spies and informed them on how they could escape. Her language there points to her awe and wonder of the Lord. I'll take you there in just a moment. Think about this. Despite her background in Canaan's pagan religions, this Gentile woman's faith in the living God of Israel was robust. It was informed by reports of the Lord's victories. She confesses when she encountered the spies in Joshua 2, 9 through 11. Look at it. She says to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth. As a result of this tremendous act of faith, her hiding them, Rahab and all of her household were spared when the walls fell. Rahab was not motivated by courage. She was not motivated by self-protection. She was not motivated by some political calculation. She was motivated by faith. Rahab trusted in the God of Israel, not only to fulfill his promise to his people, but also to protect her from the destruction of Jericho. In a time of danger, she identified herself with the people of God and believed his promises. Even though she was not an Israelite, her her faith here is truly a faith worth emulating. By faith, like Noah and Moses before her, Rahab saw the unseen and it changed her whole life. Now give me just a moment to deal with this question. What about her lie? I mean, she lied. We're commending Rahab, the prostitute, for lying and hiding people. Well, the scripture does, of course, record the lies of saints such as Abraham, but it never approves of such deception. Rather, God's word uniformly condemns falsehood and calls us to be men and women and boys and girls who tell the truth. Nevertheless, Rahab's calculated lie was a stupendous act of true faith. God recognized the motive behind the act was a motive of faith. There's much more that could be said about what she knew was right or wrong in that moment. God's victorious power is on display here through this incredible act of mercy. Not only did he spare Rahab, not only did Rahab get to live in Israel for the rest of her life, 
but she married an Israelite and became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1 reveals that she was Boaz's mother, Obed's grandmother, who fathered Jesse, who fathered David. Wow, what mercy. What mercy. How has God rewritten your story? How has faith caused you to see God's mercy in your life? This pagan prostitute exercised fearless faith and received the Lord's rescue and God's mercy was extended to her for generations. Here's the application. We've got to look beyond the fleeting pleasures of sin and the threats of rejection and persecution and set our sights on the living God, too glorious to be seen by human eyes, and the reward that He will bestow. Do you stand in need of God's mercy? Do you stand in need of God's power or maybe a great victory or deliverance in your life? Child of God, the Lord gloriously displays all three of these through His church. Friend, desperate for God's mercy, but outside the faith, may I point you to the intersection of time and eternity, of heaven and earth, of creator and creation. Can I point you to the person of Jesus Christ? He was a historical person. He really did walk the earth. He was an extraordinary person, never a person like him. He was truly God. He was truly man. And he is alive after the resurrection from the dead. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe you're not ready to believe his claims. I would ask, what's holding you back? Once you identify the things that are holding you back, don't just walk away from them. Examine them. Pursue them. Find answers to your questions. Don't put this off. It's the most important question you'll ever consider. Gilbert writes in his great, compelling request, Who is Jesus? Maybe you're ready to say, I really do think Jesus is the Son of God. I know I'm a sinner and a rebel against God. I know I deserve death for that rebellion. And I know Jesus can save me. If so, then simply turn away from your sin. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and rely on him to save you. And he'll do it. And then go tell the world, this is who Jesus is. He's the one who saves people just like me, just like you. Can you see his surprising mercy? The holy God coming down to us, to you? Can you see God's surprising offer of victory? He has overcome the world so that you might overcome yourself, your own sinful, selfish desires to live in the newness of life. Can you see his power over death, over hell, over the grave to make you new, to set you right with a holy God? This is the power of God unto salvation, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. We live by faith and it's evident and how we obey his word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We pray that you would have us to obey you in such a way that our faith causes us to see your great power, your great victory, and your great and surprising mercy. Fill us with your spirit. We stand in desperate need of that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of 
our faith. And the church said, Amen. Take just a moment. Ask the Lord how he might have you to live out your faith this way so that others might look at you and see God's power, Christ's victory, and God's mercy. The Lord be with you.